Hello and welcome to the podcast for the Foundation for Science and Technology. This week we're discussing innovation in the UK and priorities for UK research and innovation. With me to discuss that is Priya Gua, venture partner at Merion Ventures and a council member of Innovate UK, though today speaking in a personal capacity. Uh, Priya Guya, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Gavin. It's a pleasure to be with you. So to start us off, what do you think the strengths and weaknesses are of the UK innovation system now in 2020? I think we can be really proud of the innovation ecosystem that we've built up here in the UK. Um, as you know, Gavin, I spent five years working over in Silicon Valley. And if you look at the elements that they have had in Silicon Valley that's made it the sort of legendary success for tech and innovation that it's become, the mix of academic excellence, the mix of investment capacity, the mix of startups and later stage businesses that are collaborating, and of course, a government that is active and supportive of that ecosystem, we have all of those elements and indeed more here in the UK. So I think yeah, we should rightly be proud of where we've got to. Um, that doesn't mean though that we haven't got more to do and of course things to think about, not least the COVID pandemic and the impact that will have had on the innovation ecosystem. And also what we need to do to think about building the ecosystem for the future. And that's where, for me, there are two areas that we really need to concentrate on from the UK side. And that's one, how you support scale-ups. So later stage startups that are looking for later stage rounds of investment, the right sort of markets to be able to sell into, the ability to um, scale fast and bring in the talent they need. So how can we support scale-ups? And then secondly, and also very importantly, how we can build an innovation ecosystem that is inclusive and bringing in all of the fantastically diverse and currently underrepresented talent in innovation in the UK. Well, you set us two questions. So now I'm gonna put you on the spot and ask you for some answers to your questions. So how do you think the government, Innovate UK, UKRI more generally, can begin to tackle those two issues uh, and maybe take, uh, take them in the order you mentioned. So starting with scale-ups. So the area of scale-ups, I mean, I think, first of all, it's worth just touching on why I think this is really important. It's important because of the broader impact that scale-ups have on the economy. If you think about how we will be growing as an economy post-COVID and that sort of rather elusive future of a post-COVID economy. <laughs> One of the things that will be really important is how we stimulate job creation across the economy. And the reality is scale-ups are a fantastic tool for job creation. Scale-ups in the UK um, support a huge number of jobs and also support jobs in the broader Economy. So a study in the US um, through uh, an economist called Enrico Moretti, who produced a, a study on this in the um, early 2010s, I believe, his study showed that jobs in tech and in innovation created about five other jobs in the broader economy. So this is a huge part of the economic engine that will build back the UK economy post-COVID. So what are the things we need to think about? Well, Investment is really key. In the UK and in Europe more generally, we have a very strong early investment ecosystem. 
So when companies are just spinning out, maybe from a university setting or um, in other ways, there is a lot of good early stage startup capital in the UK. But as a company scales, it needs larger rounds of capital and it needs investors who are able to support a larger scaling business. And when you're looking at the later stage rounds, so what you might call a series B uh, plus round, it's more challenging to get that sort of funding from the UK or Europe. So I think one of the big areas where the UK can support its scale-ups is by facilitating that sort of later stage investment. We talked uh, a bit earlier about British patient capital, which is a link to the British Business Bank and intended to look at how the government can support that types of funding. And actually, British Patient Capital announced just yesterday that they have given about a billion pounds worth of commitments to the startup ecosystem. But the important thing is that that has leveraged about 4.8 billion pounds of private third-party investment alongside it. So there is a huge role, I think, there for governments to play in leveraging capital from elsewhere. And at a smaller scale, Innovate UK has done something quite similar, actually, thinking about how it can stimulate investment by pulling grants alongside um, an ability for a private investor to come in to support specific technologies that we know are going to drive the future, like, for example, quantum technology. But it's not just about the money. Clearly, another element to making sure that scale-ups are successful is going to be the ability to bring in talent. And this is why I think one of the really important things for the UK is having a immigration an immigration system post the UK's exit from the European Union at the end of this year that facilitates immigration both through Europe, but also from all over the world that's going to fuel this part of the economy. I think there is a strong cross-party support for that sort of structure, but we've yet to see what that will actually look like in practice. And I think that is going to be really important. So those are two elements I would cite, Gavin, as being really fundamental to our ability to grow that scale-up ecosystem really effectively. Mm. Mm. No, I can see both of those. And we'll have to see, particularly on the immigration system, how things develop once it's a little bit clearer where things are post the transition period. The other thing you mentioned in your earlier remarks was building an innovation system that is inclusive. How do we go about that? Uh, and, And how far have we gone so far? So I think the challenge is that we have built a very, very effective tech ecosystem and we are not unique in, in having these challenges, by the way, I should, I should preface my remarks, but it's an ecosystem that isn't reflective of the broader population from a number of angles. So if we just take gender for one second, if you look at the funding that goes into female-led businesses, the Rose report that came out, um, I think, in early 2019, cited that only one pence in every pound goes to female-led businesses in the UK. You know, that's a massive challenge um, in terms of making sure that all ideas from wherever they come from are being supported with the right sort of growth capital. A report just came out recently by Extend Ventures that talks about the levels of investment for black founders in the UK. And the reality is that showed that only 0.2% of investment has gone to black founder-led businesses. 
who that is a real challenge. And, you know, I've talked about diversity just there in the prism of gender and the prism of minority representation, but it's much broader than that. So of course, you know, about geography, are we making sure that ideas across the UK from wherever they come from in the UK are getting the same ability to grow and scale? I think you've, you've outlined the problem. I'm interested, I guess, in the solution. Well, I think, I think if I may, Gavin, just, just add sort of one, two other points about why this is important first, and then I will happily give you sort of my version of what the solution could look like. I think when you look at innovation and technology, the reality is, is that innovation needs to be built in an inclusive way. One of the things that is um, rightly coming to the fore of debate now is that if you have an algorithm and it's not built through the prism of inclusivity, that creates problems. You know, we've seen that in areas like, for example, the Apple Watch that was built without thinking of the female customer in mind. Um, so they missed out really obvious things like period tracking, which for a, for a woman would be a fundamental part of the usage of these sorts of health apps. So I think the second point there, though, that's really important is that you know, there is a huge market out there for innovative products that are targeting the whole of the UK's population. If we look at purchasing in the UK and purchasing globally, actually the reality is um, a majority of purchasing decisions are made by women, for example. So we need to have products that are appealing to that whole market. And you've seen with innovative products around, for example, how hair products can be geared to only a small subsection of the white market in the UK and globally that is missing out on a huge potential for companies to be able to sell and scale their businesses. And then lastly, I think the really important point here is around the importance of diversity for better decision-making. Actually, if you don't have businesses that are built through the prism of diversity, it's been proven time and time again, and McKinsey's done a number of very good studies on this, that actually the decisions those companies make are inferior, and therefore the performance of those businesses is inferior. But what's the solution? And you rightly asked, you know, what I would do if I had the sort of magic wand to be able to change the dial on this. And I think the reality is, for me at least, we need to, from a UKRI perspective, from an Innovate UK perspective, and frankly, this applies to broader elements of government intervention as well. We need to think about how every single intervention we do is impacting on diversity and inclusion. That means that you have to start from a very, very good position of data management. And I've been absolutely delighted to see that Innovate UK has now embedded collecting diversity and inclusion data across all of its programs so that we have a baseline from which to assess the performance through a diversity and inclusion lens. So the first of all, data is key. The second point, though, is that I think it is entirely reasonable for us to look at areas where government is intervening financially to make a nudge in terms of accelerating the sorts of changes that need to happen to support underrepresented groups. So, for example, we've seen how aspirational targets for FTSE 100 businesses to have better representation from a gender perspective on boards has been very successful. Why shouldn't we have aspirational targets for funding that comes from central government to the innovation ecosystem to say that there's an expectation that X number, um, X percentage of funding should be going to women? 
X percentage of funding should be going to people who are black founders. It is actually really important that a societal expectation is set that makes sure there is an acceleration of the rather glacial progress we've seen in this field over the past few decades. That's really interesting. Do you know if other countries have set those types of targets or would this be quite new on a global level? To be honest, Gavin, I don't know if country other countries have set those targets specifically in relation to innovation funding. Mm. What I do know, though, is that other countries are tracking where their innovation funding goes. And I think you have seen in areas, for example, like the Nordics, a much faster acceptance of using targets as a means to change the status quo for good. Um, And so I don't think this would be very unprecedented as an intervention in the UK's own innovation ecosystem. No, really interesting. I'm going to take you in a slightly different direction now. Obviously, two big challenges that companies have at the moment are, on the one hand, coronavirus, and on the other hand, the Brexit and the transition period. And we hear a lot about the difficulties and problems associated with that. But I'm interested, from the innovation point of view, if COVID and Brexit generate some opportunities uh, and what you think they might be, and and I guess then how Innovate might support them. So, I mean, I think... To start with, Gavin, it's always so hard to talk about opportunities when you see so much suffering as a result of what we're going through in the COVID pandemic. I mean, we're just about, as we record this, to go into another lockdown. So many businesses will have to shut their doors again. People will be at risk of losing their jobs. So, you know, there is a lot of really challenging situations that individuals and businesses are finding themselves in across the UK. And I think it's it's so hard, therefore, to talk about opportunities. But as you've asked the question, I mean, I think the one of the things that is coming out as a result of the pandemic is a big acceleration of the acceptance of adoption of technology in a way that was slowly moving on prior to COVID, but he has been dramatically accelerated as a result of COVID and the very different lifestyle we're all living. I don't think from a working pattern perspective, any of us, you or I, or anybody listening to this could have predicted that it would basically become generally accepted that workplaces, if they are an office setting, would become inevitably a virtual workspace. There would have been many companies historically, I think, who would have been reluctant to go in that direction, but we've all done it. And Pretty much for those of us who have an office-based job, it's worked. And that will be a huge change in how working patterns have have adapted. If you look at even things like public acceptance of technology, prior to the pandemic, only around 8% of people were comfortable in seeing their GPs in a virtual setting rather than face-to-face in their local GP surgery. Well, actually, because of the pandemic, that number's now shifted to about 80% of the public. So there's a huge public acceptance of technology. So what does that mean for Innovate UK and UKRI? Well, I think it means that actually there is a real, really ripe climate 
for technologies to be part of the solution to the post-COVID recovery. We've talked about this in the context of building that economy in an inclusive way, but actually what, you, what we can think about is how does technological innovation be implemented in every single sector across the economy to help those sectors also be part of this journey of recovery post-COVID. Great examples there are in areas like hospitality. You know, how can technology be part of the solution for helping hospitality get back on its feet post-COVID? In those few weeks we've had in between lockdowns, you've probably seen as I have, Gavin, um, lots of you know small scale innovations there, things like using QR codes to be reading a menu, things like people being able to, to pre-order through websites rather than having to have a sort of interface directly um, at a, a restaurant that could increase exposure. All of these really small things, but go some way to helping every single sector of the UK economy adapt. And I think that's where Innovate UK and UKRI can play a really crucial role, innovate by helping those sorts of innovations come to market and be accessible to every single different sector of the UK economy, UKRI more broadly by supporting that work that innovates driving, but also by ensuring that academia is, in the way that UK academia is so strong, bringing through the most exciting new research ideas that could just change the landscape, whether that's as a solution to the COVID pandemic itself or whether that's as solutions to how the economy can be built in that inclusive way successfully to benefit everybody in the UK post-COVID. So one of the things that comes out of that is I guess not just the technologies to make some of these innovations but overall the skills. Do you think we have the skills in the UK to deliver some of these opportunities you've been talking about and is there more that UKRI, universities, other uh, other funders can do to promote those skills? So the answer is that, you know, there is an absolute need for a transformation in digital skills in the UK. Now, who is responsible for driving that forward? Well, I think it's going to take a huge range of different partners coming to the table to make that transformation. I also think here, this is where we really need to think about our primary and secondary education systems as well, our sort of K to 12 in in US parlance. Because the reality is the jobs of tomorrow are jobs that we don't even know exist at the moment. And we need to therefore equip children coming through our education systems with the skills and abilities to adapt, be flexible, to train in different ways, and to therefore be able to cope with that hugely transformational labour market that they will be seeing as they come through to employment. So for me, digital skills, you know, starts at sort of primary education and frankly, you know, early years education, but goes all the way through to people who are later in their career, who might also need to be thinking about how they adapt their own careers, either in their current role and getting the skills to be able to do their current role in a new digital climate, or indeed for them to be able to apply for and be successful in different roles as the economy and the jobs market changes in years to come. 
And that is going to be really, really important for me to be able to make sure that this digital transformational change that we're at the brink of for the UK economy is one that involves everybody, not just one that involves a few. And that is a really, really important part of the equation. Mm -hmm. And I can see with something so big, with so many different parts, that as you say, it's not immediately obvious who within a governmental setting might be responsible for an overall strategy, if if anybody at all. Um, but but nonetheless, it's very clear that it's uh, it's something that's needed. Well, I mean, I think there is clarity of a, who has responsibility for education and you know who has responsibility for digital skills. But the reality is, it cuts across so many more governmental departments. It cuts rightly, as you've said, across you know the remit of organisations like UKRI and Innovate UK specifically. It cuts across the remit of, of local authorities, local councils, and how they deliver localised training. It cuts across the remit of private sector organisations who might deliver their own training and skills development in-house. So I think that's why a partnership is really going to be the only way we will be able to think about this holistically and make sure that we are bringing in the right sort of skills training, as I said, you know, right from the sort of five-year-old to you know, the 70-year-old. Just to finish off, given all the different things we've been talking about over the last 20 minutes or so, what do you think UKRI's priorities and Innovate UK's priorities for innovation should be over the next two or three years? For me, I think the if you're looking at the innovation end of that sort of R&D landscape, I think there's a couple of things that would really change the game. We've talked earlier about that focus on scale-ups and how UKRI could play a role in supporting scale-ups. We've talked about making sure that that economic growth is inclusive. Edging back into more of the sort of R and the, the equation, though, is I think another big opportunity. UKRI is a fantastic opportunity to bridge, I think, one of the biggest cultural barriers that we still have with, within the UK's R&D landscape which is a sort of wall between the world of academia and the world of business. I think UKRI is really perfectly positioned to be looking at how we can shift the culture around research and innovation to make it perfectly acceptable for an academic to have business interests and for a business person to have academic interests. We're not quite there in the UK. And I think that is one of the real prizes that actually UKRI bringing together the Research Councils, Research England and Innovate could be the umbrella organisation to to achieve that cultural shift, Um, because that is a real prize. And actually, we have such a great innovation ecosystem in the UK. We have such a great strength in terms of our academic institutions. Let's bring those two together through the umbrella and support of of UKRI to make sure that we're achieving that cultural shift that could be genuinely transformational in the long run for the UK. That's all we have time for, but a great place to finish. So uh, Priya Guya, thank you very much. Thank you, Gavin. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Priya Guya, venture partner at Merian Ventures and a council member of Innovate UK. Priya was also a speaker at an event held by the Foundation on the 2nd of November entitled Future Priorities for UKRI. A recording of that event and all our previous events, plus our blogs and all episodes of this podcast, can be found on our website at www.
www.foundation.org.uk. Next week, my guest will be Stephanie Smith, Head of Policy for Research and International at the Russell Group.